Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, now verse 21. Everybody go, ooh, ooh, you have made it now to another section of the book of Ephesians. This book has been our sermon series for over a year since 2017. We have gone through it verse by verse. Today we're going to read about the family section and then talk specifically about a godly wife and mother. Is it okay if we talk about mothers again even though it's not Mother's Day? Is that okay? Now it would have been cool if it would have fit in on Mother's Day, but it wouldn't have uh, worked with our sermon series, so I knew I would come back to it. The cool thing is, is that we'll talk about fathers on Father's Day, so make sure you come with your fathers on that weekend for the Boricua Fest, and then Father's Day service will have a special gift for them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 starts with our scriptures for today. Let's read them out loud, verses 21 and 22. One, two, three. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why? submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Thank you. We'll be talking a little bit about mutual submission and then the role of godly wives and godly mothers. It will fit in together. I'll continue reading in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so the wives must submit to their husbands in some things. Is that what it says? So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything in the first century. But in the 21st century, once Oprah Winfrey comes out and starts uh, living in with their shack and relationship, Stedman, everything will change. Once Beyonce sings Independent Women with the, what is that, the group she was in? Destiny's Child, everything will change. Verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in what? Come on, I don't want to just hear the husbands say it. I want to hear the women say it. Wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Thank you. We believe the Bible, even the parts that the culture doesn't like. Amen? Verse 25. Now husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Notice how the church is to be, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. If you are a part of the church, how should you live? Without stain or wrinkle or any blemish holy and blameless. That is the call for every Christian. Amen? And we know in prior chapters that we can do that because that's how Christ made us to be. Verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Now, you may think of people who have hated their own body and even those who have taken their own lives, but this is not the sound way of thinking. The Bible is speaking in a general sense. Those who have a sound mind, those who live in a healthy way, don't hate their own bodies. Those who hate their bodies are living in an unhealthy way and won't live a good life. Either they'll take their own life and their self-hatred, they'll mutilate their body in self-mutilation, or they will begin to destroy their body in anorexia and those kinds of things. But the Bible says, in a general way, no one, and you could insert in there, no one with a healthy lifestyle or no one who has a sound mind hates their body. 
They feed it and care for it. How many of you have a sound mind and you don't hate your body today? Come on. If you don't have a sound mind in this issue today, we will get you free from the low self-esteem you have towards your body. That is not a healthy way to live. This culture may have affected you and changed the way God wants you to see yourself. And so you have to take a stand and say, I will love myself as Christ loves me. Somebody say, I will love myself as Christ loves me. Say this with me. I will feed and care for my body just as Christ does the church. Amen. So in this illustration, Christ is the head and the body is the church. And the Bible says he feeds his church. He nourishes his church with his word, with his water of the spirit. He takes care of his church. And so you ought to love your body the same way. Your body is a reflection of the image of Jesus. So just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Verse 31, and you might remember hearing this at wedding ceremonies, but it's not just good for weddings. It's good for us today. Can I I hear an amen. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. So let me pause here. When people say Jesus said nothing about homosexuality, they are right in one sense. He never had the words come out of his mouth, thou shall not be a homosexual. But where they're wrong is then to make the application that somehow Jesus approved of it. The reason why Jesus didn't have to say out of his mouth, thou shall not be a homosexual, is because it was about as obvious to them as thou shall not eat poop from a dog. The Jewish worldview considered homosexuality a defilement and an absolute absurdity to creation. And I don't say that against those who struggle with same-sex attraction. I am telling you literally to them to think about same-sex attraction and same-sex love. It is called a tohavi in the Hebrew, an abomination. So Jesus never had to mention all of the abominations of the Jewish people. For example, Jesus didn't have to say, thou shall not touch little boys' genitalia like some Father Toms do in dark rooms. And I'm saying all Catholic priests, but as some Catholic priests have been known to do. He didn't have to say, thou shall not take a sword to your throat and cut it off and to decapitate yourself. These were abominations to the Jewish people. When he said in Mark chapter 10, the exact words of Moses given, the exact words of God given to Moses in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, he said, This is sexuality, period. Anything outside of one man and one woman in marriage is an abomination. And we see those laws written throughout the, throughout the Bible. And so Jesus did not have to say, thou shall not molest children, thou shall not uh, have sex with multiple women and have orgies. Jesus didn't have to mention all of the Jewish abominations because there was only one, somebody say one, there was only one prescribed way for sexuality in God's word. One way, somebody say one way. And that one way was one man, one woman in marriage for life. Any questions, ask your neighbor or go to a beautiful life group this week. Go join our 101 and we'll help you see this. I want you to see it one more time. 
Imagine if I was writing a book from the vegan perspective. God have mercy on them. God have mercy on vegans. If you are a vegan here, we are praying for you. You are in our prayer request that God will set you free from that. Read the Bible. The aroma of the meat going before the Lord in sacrifice is a beautiful smelling aroma. But anyways, there are some of you here yoga pant wearing vegan eating. Okay, we love you just the way you are, but we love you so much to tell you God doesn't want you to stay that way. Half kid. Now listen, let's imagine if you were writing a vegan cookbook, how many recipes for meat would you include in your vegan cookbook? How many recipes for pork would be in your vegan cookbook? How many recipes for chicken would be in your vegan cookbook? So if somebody said to you, oh my goodness, you must love pork because you never said anything about it in your vegan cookbook, negative. You never said anything negative about pork in your vegan cookbook. You must love eating it. What would they say to you? They would say, you are a fool. The reason why I never had to say I hate pork is because the book itself tells you what I'm about. I'm about not eating meat. Is that not clear to you? That's what I'm about. If you were writing a book about not having a cookbook, about not cooking with granulated sugar, how many recipes would have granulated sugar? None. So the reason why Jesus never talks about homosexuality is because he wants none of it. Are you listening to me? The reason why he doesn't go into depth on orgies is because he doesn't want any of it. The reason why he doesn't mention pedophilia or thou shalt not have sex with your dog, the reason why that didn't come out of his mouth is because he wants nothing to do with it. All of them, orgies, sex with animals, sex with children are all perversions. Homosexuals get mad when we include them in the list of perverted behavior because they want to say theirs is more normalized. It's not the same as having sex with an animal. It's not the same as having sex with a child. It's not the same as having sex with multiple people on a whim. That may be true. Homosexual sex has a unique aspect, just as having sex with a dog has a unique aspect that all the others don't have. But here's what all of them have in common. They are dying versions from God's original version. And this is the way God made us. This is the way God made us. So God made us to be male and female. You are not to try to change your gender as you would change your clothes. There may be somebody born abnormally that has a difficulty with their gender, hermaphrodite and those like that, but those are the kind that we have compassion on and help them to live a normal life. What we don't do is take a healthy person and cut off their genitalia and say, now you're like a hermaphrodite. No, we don't make the well person sick. We try to make the sick person well. And so today when we look to the understanding of marriage and family, this is God's purpose. And so let me also say this. There may be some men or some women here that will say, well, I'm neither a husband 
nor a wife. You know, the woman saying, I'm neither a wife nor a mother. The, hus- uh, the man saying, I'm neither a husband nor a father. So how do these things apply to me? Number one, we do not want to make anyone feel less than if they are not married or have children. Jesus was not married, didn't have children, uh, Paul, etc. The Bible actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 32 and onward, that those who want to remain single can do so for the Lord. So we don't want to make single people feel like they're on the outside. But we do want to be very clear that the normative expression for humanity is to be fruitful and multiply. That is a command. To be married, to have a spouse, and to have children. That is a normal part of life. And that's why when we look at the world today and the problems that they're having, a lot of it stems from them not being rooted in a family. For example, the highest rate of divorce, excuse me, the highest rate of suicide and the highest rate of depression among men my age are those who have broken marriages and bad relationships with their kids. So the over eight or the middle-aged white male has the highest rate of suicide. And when you follow their life and trend, it's because they've had the most amount of disconnection from their wives and their children. That is the majority of middle-aged white males who take their life. And so I see this as a trend. The same thing is with the middle-aged woman that now is on all of these opiates to make her life feel better. It's because she's disconnected from her role as a wife and a mother. So am I saying that everybody has to be a wife and a mother? No. But if God calls you to be single, you should be single-minded towards God. You shouldn't be single so you can make more money, have more time to yourself, because that is backfiring by the millions right now in this generation. I want a bigger amen than that, so I'm going to stay on this for a little bit. Let me go up to my notes, give you some stats and facts, because I know you guys like stats and facts, don't you? One of the most newest and destructive trends in the U.S. eroding the foundations of marriage and the family is couples who live together without being married. From 2006 to 2010, nearly half of all women, 48% from the ages of 15 to 44, said they were not married to their spouse or partner when they first lived with them. That is up from 43% in 2002 and 34% in 1995. We understand this trend is growing. People are living together before being married. 75% of all women right now, age 30 or younger, said that they've lived with their partner outside of marriage at some point in their lives. And sadly, the length of time that they're now living together has gone from 13 months in 95 to 22 months in 2010. It's almost two years living together. Now, what is the result of these things? 31% of women are married. That's a low number compared to 92% in 1920. Do you think that has anything to do with young women being depressed today? How many were depressed in the 1920s during the Great Recession, during depressions, during economics collapse? Women at a higher level were dealing or were better in life than they are now. And this goes also for the African-American community and the Latinos where they are now seeing record numbers of single moms and abortion rates as well. Where were the families in those years? The black family in the 20s, the 30s, and 40s, though they were suffering Jim Crow, were stronger than they are right now. I'm telling you the truth, somebody. You can get quiet, but I'm going to keep preaching. Whether you get mad, it don't change the facts. The black family, the white family, the Latino family, everyone's being affected by this American dream, which become a nightmare. 
The reason is, is because we think that women don't have a purpose in, their, in being a mother. Women, why do you think you have breastuses? Do you have breasts so that you can enlarge them and be on a cover of a magazine? You were given breasts to breastfeed children. Hello, somebody. Why do you think women have bodies the way they do? Now we idolize the woman's body, and she's more, uh, she is more depressed, more disenfranchised. I'm trying to think of the right word. She's more disillusioned. Thank you, Jesus. More disillusioned by her body than they were in the 20s. Why? Because a woman knew what her body was made for. It's okay if I have a little bit of meat because I have to work around the house and take care of the family. I don't want to just be nothing but skin and bones. And those who are skinny, that's okay, but I'm just trying to help those who feel like they're not skinny because they get picked on a lot in the media. So listen, why were, happier people, why were people happier back then? Because 92% of them were married. Why were middle-aged men happier back then? It's because they were married to women. They started having children young. Number, uh, point B, the average woman to get, the average age for a woman to get married now is 27 years old. You have a child or two, you're basically getting close to menopause. You're giving the last years of your youth to your children instead of the best years of your youth. And I'm not talking about having children outside of marriage. I'm talking about doing your best in high school, living as a virgin, living pure, and then getting married and starting your family as a young adult and enjoying life in the family. And I also want to say this about children. I used to say it as well, but God has corrected a lot of my stinking thinking. I used to think that I had to wait to have children so that my wife and I could get to know each other better in marriage. That is my biggest regret of my marriage. My biggest regret is that I waited as long as I did. I was just saying that the other day to a woman cutting my hair. And she was saying, oh, man, you have six kids. And, and literally, almost with a tear coming down my eyes, I said, I wish I had more. I wish I would have started earlier. How in the world do you think God would have created you to be a wife or a, a husband and a father, all of this in one, as the Bible says, and then you not to know yourself, that, that his plan would take away your ability to know yourself? We have been so deceived. And then I thought I had to have so much resources before I had children. All you have to do is talk to your grandparents and see the resources that they had and all the children that they had. I've talked to people that have had upwards of 15 siblings. My next-door neighbor, how many siblings does Steve, my neighbor, have? Fifteen. My friends, we've been lied to. You've been lied to about your sexuality. And men, you have your genitalia. You're not to stick it in everything that gives you pleasure or to put it in your right hand every night. You have your genitalia to plant seed and to be a father. So let's not get it twisted. Women aren't to have their female parts hanging out for the world to see. That's for th to be a reminder that they're a mother for a child to suckle on that, to have life. And men don't have a thing between their legs to seek pleasure from themselves and every little cute, skirt, oh, cute woman that walks by in a skirt. Because we've tried that. And look at where we've ended up as a culture. Look at all of you young adults here in this church right now, brought up by a single mom, those without fathers. Look at the brokenness of your families and your homes. Look at what you have suffered. Why do you think Miley Cyrus knows what she's talking about? Why do you think Oprah Winfrey knows what she's talking about? She's neither a wife nor a mother. Why do you listen to Ellen? She's neither. Stop this madness. Wake up to the beauty of motherhood and to being a wife. Wake up to the beauty of that. That's what Christ made us for. 
And people may say, well, what about, you know, fulfilling our dreams with jobs and all of these things? My wife, my wife, pregnant with our sixth, homeschooling five, working here as a pastor is getting straight A's in her master's degree. So I don't know what kind of women you're hanging around. But we have women from Lauren to Catherine to many others who have gone to Bible college here and others to different schools and have accomplished their purpose. Motherhood isn't an excuse to not fulfill dreams that God put in your heart either. As a matter of fact, you look back to the most ingenious women of the 20s, the 30s, what a lot of people like to point to as the early feminists, and I may agree with some of that because I know they wanted equal rights and all of that. I don't agree with much of feminism today because they want to take away our Bible. And so let me just ask you this. Are you going to agree with someone who disagrees with your Bible? Okay, so don't follow anybody that disagrees with this Bible. They call this the patriarchy, and I call them stupidity. Let God be the one who decides between us. Amen? But let me just say this. When they decided... They would fight for the right to vote and to have equal rights on the jobs and all of those, those things. That was not an either or. That didn't mean now that they would shave their heads, get tattoos, put, tat, uh, put piercings all in their face and look like ugly women and call themselves feminists now. Are you listening? That nobody else is attracted to except another woman who looks just like that. Are you listening? I'm not saying all lesbians are ugly like that, but so many of them destroy the image of God upon themselves. So feminism wasn't to do that. Feminism, feminism wasn't to create that. Many of the Christians who were feminists were doing it for a both and. Not so that we can become lesbians. They were doing it so that we might fulfill our dreams, have our patents, work our jobs, and be great mothers and great wives and take care of our children and be a grandparent one day, grow old gracefully. And so those are the women of the Bible, women that were frugal and fruitful. And then lastly, those who think they're smarter than the Bible, who say, you know what? We'll live together, give it a test run, and then we'll get marriage. Those who cohabitate together, if they do get married, only one out of five do after they wasted two years of their life because that's on average how much they stay together. They have an 80% higher rate of divorce than those who didn't live together before marriage. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Stop pretending that it does. Stop believing a 21st century lie. So listen to this. This is what the Bible says. For this reason, a man, see, not a kid just playing video games all the time, but for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's the act of having sex, representing what happens in the spirit. And now, verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So think about it like this. You may think, that church is so unimportant that God has to throw it in every now and then to kind of keep you interested in coming here in, on Sundays. No, the Bible says actually the opposite. The church is so important that he will use sex, the greatest thing you could possibly have in this world as a pleasure, and the greatest position as a wife or a, fa a, a, wife or a, a mother or a husband or a father. He will say that greatest thing you value I gave that to you for one reason and one reason only, that you would see how important the church is in your life. 
The only reason why you're having sex right now is because God says he wants to be one with your spirit, which is what you do with your body, with your spouse. The only reason you get the right to have children right now in your life is not so that they can become an idol and they come before God, that you guys can get a good spot at the beach, North Avenue Beach this morning. No, no, no. The whole reason you get to be a parent is for you to know God the Father as your parent. And the only reason why you get to have siblings is so you can understand the siblings of the church. And the only reason why why we get to have sex is so that we can understand the deeper union, which is spiritual, between Christ and his church. That's the whole reason why we got it. That's the whole reason why we got it, friends. Because before there was ever sexual organs, before there was ever marriage, there was a God all by himself with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And he decided how he would make creation to then exemplify everything that he is. All of creation is just one big play, one big drawing, as it were, of God, one big video game, if you want to look at it that way, one big virtual reality to show us the reality of God. So it's not like, it's not like your family comes first over here and then church is way down over here. No, 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 listen, son, you wouldn't even have a family unless church was right here. So you have to love the body of Christ. He literally calls it the body of Christ. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There is the happy home. There's the happy home. Loving husbands being the loving spouse and wives being the submissive servants. Loving husbands, submissive spouses. You say, Pastor, I don't like that. I want to be in charge. Well, go talk to this person. I don't know how to redefine this. Go talk to Paul. Go talk to him. Love your wife as you love yourself. That's why men who mistreat their wives mistreat themselves and will perish in eternity in hell. They think they're getting temporary pleasure from abandoning their family, going to the bar, or pursuing a younger model. Uh, you know, they think that's for their own pleasure, but they're deceiving themselves. They will suffer for eternity in hell. The one who truly loves himself, values his soul, loves his wife as himself, wants his wife's best as he wants his best. And then the wife who truly loves her husband serves her husband as she serves Christ in the church because she sees her husband as a representative of Christ upon the earth. Though both are made equally in their image, not one difference in the image of Christ. God made them both in his image. Woman is not just in the image of man, as some have taught, since she was created from the rib. That is not true. It's not man is created in God and woman is, woman is created in the image of man. That is not true. Male and female, he created them in his image, plural. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That's Exodus 20, 12. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the word, instruction of the Lord, rather. The word exasperate there simply means do not frustrate your children by being so hard on them that they don't enjoy life, that they don't see the goodness of God. This is our new uh, passage that we'll be going over for the next few weeks. How many are excited about this? Amen. And so we look to the book of Ephesians. We've gone through the heavenly-minded part. That's the first four chapters. We've learned that. You can go back and look at the notes. Now we're learning the earthly good because we want to be so heavenly-minded, we change the earth for good. The old adage, don't be so heavenly-minded that you can be of new earthly good is not true. 
Jesus was heavenly minded. He changed the earth for good. We started off with the instructions for Christian living. That was a long passage. We were there for about 15 weeks. How many are happy we're done? Can I hear an amen? You've heard it all from Christian living. Go back and listen to it if you haven't uh, been around for a while or or you're new. And then number two, what we're learning right now is instructions for the family and the job. How many care about your family? How many believe we should listen to God? Here are the instructions. You've just read them. Mutual submission. We start off by submitting one to another. Number two, wives submit to their husbands. Number three, the husbands love their wives. Number four, God has an example in marriage of his union with the church that we must understand and appreciate. Children, obey your parents. And then fathers, representing the authority, because this could apply to moms as well. Don't exasperate. Don't frustrate your children. And then the last passage we'll get into as we cover the, as we cover the job is employee, employees obey your bosses. Bosses treat your employees good. Nancy, can you grab me some water, please? Here's what we just learned, and tell me if you see it. The order for God in the family. How does God order our families? How should the families be ordered according to the word of God? Well, number one, there's God. Number two, there's the church. Number three, there's the husbands. Number four, there's the wife. And then there's the children. If you're still living at home with your parents, you're way down here, kids. Okay? If you ever want to start paying your bills and doing all those things, you get to move up to here. But now until then, you're right under here. Why do I use the example of an umbrella there? I do that because God provides protection in the house. When we have the structure, thank you. When we have the structure that he gives us, we have his protection. Look at your neighbor and say, get God's protection. Now, can I promise you that you won't get in a car accident, that kind of protection? No. Can I promise you that you won't lose a job or have a bad day at work? No, I'm not talking about that. Can I promise you that uh, your house won't flood, as many of my friends' houses flood in Louisiana and Texas all during hurricane season? No, I'm not, I'm not talking about some flippant uh, televangelist promise of protection. What I'm talking about is the protection of your soul. I'm talking about the protection of your inner person. I'm talking about what guards you from the way of destruction. As we've looked around our culture today, the number one way the devil comes in to destroy a culture is through the breakdown of the family. Number one cause of lesbianism and homosexuality is fatherless homes. Number one cause of violence on the streets, fatherless homes. The number one cause, the number one cause for corruption in politics, fatherless homes. You say, how in the world can that be? Because godly fathers represent the authority of God the Father in the home. And if the devil can get God the Father out the home through having the earthly father be an idiot and not be around, then the structure starts to break down. God chose a certain structure to bless the home. Excuse me, to bless the family. Look at your life right now and be 100% honest and ask yourself, did you grow up in a home where the father, your father, was a husband, not a living boyfriend with your mom, but a husband to your mom and a father to you under the church's authority and under God? I could embarrass us here today. I would embarrass us if I asked you to stand up If you have not had that, the majority of you would be standing up. 
over 90% of our church grew up in a non-Christian home with a godly father who was the husband to his mother. Are you listening? And you wonder why the world is messed up. It's staring you right in the eyes. Those of us who had Christian families, we would be the minority. We would be the minority. Now, the good news is all of us can order our family and get back to where God wants us to be. One of the young ladies that I pastored in a youth group, I did both of her parents' funerals because they were drug addicts and they died as related to that drug addiction. But now she's married to a godly man. They have a godly family with their children. She has her master's degree and is a social worker. She broke the curse of an ungodly family and has an ordered family. The protection of God is over her family. Now, does that guarantee that everybody's going to do what's right? No. When I grew up in a Christian family, I rebelled against this. I actually rebelled against this as crazy as I was. I wish I uh, had the kind of family that many of you grew up with. I actually went and spent the night at those families where those parents would give me those drugs or no one would be around and they didn't care about their kids. I loved those kind of parents. But then I realized that it was destroying my soul. Let me just tell you it's part of my testimony that some of you haven't heard. Remember that time I tell you I give my heart to the Lord at my mother's kitchen table? But there was a call I made before that call to my mom. And that was to my friend's mom. Because she was the cool mom, and she was a nurse, and she knew, we smoked, she knew we smoked weed and got drunk in the house, had sex with girls in the bedrooms. She was totally cool with it. So I called up that mom, and I said, I feel like I'm just losing my mind. And she said, well, are you doing drugs? I said, yeah. She said, well, you're going to have to stop that. I said, I don't know how. She said, you're going to have to go to a clinic then to get you off drugs. That's why, listen to me, when I called up my mom, I said to her, you got to put me in a mental hospital. Where did I get the idea that I need to go to a clinic, a mental hospital, a drug rehab? I got that from my friend's mom. But what did my mom say to me? You don't need a mental hospital. All you need is Jesus. And still to this day, people get mad at me about that. They say, well, what about people who do need mental hospital? I ain't telling their story, Jack. I'm telling my story. Keep your hands off my story. This is my story. This belongs to me and God because you don't know where I would have been that day if I would have died. But I do. I would have went straight to hell. And my mom knew that and she preached the word of God. So take your pity patty party back to the devil if you want. This is my story by God's grace. My mother said, you don't need that. All you need is Jesus. I thank God for a godly mother. And as I always say, I got saved at my kitchen table and delivered from demons and evil spirits at the couch when my father got home. See, I didn't need a drug rehab. All I needed was mom and dad loving me every day. They kept me in check. I'm telling you the truth. I thank God for teen challenges. I know godly parents that tried it and it didn't work. But listen to me. That's what worked for me. And that was over 20 years ago. And so all my friends that laughed at me and said it didn't work, they're still going to hell and their lives are still tore up. Okay, so listen to me when I say this in all seriousness. You can set this thing in order. And what God will do is bless you and protect you and keep you. And even if your children, as I did, made my own decision, you will not be affected by their bad decisions. So here's the deal. The Bible says that the child wants to go to hell. When they get to heaven, the mother will forget even her womb. 
Do you understand what that means? I want everybody to get the terrifying understanding of that, what the prophet said. You are not handcuffed to your children, parents. That means you serve them, you love them, you honor them, you do all you can for them, you protect them spiritually, obviously, and then physically as well. And you do that, and when they make their own decision, just like how God created Adam and said, hey, you can go to hell if you want. And he said to Judas at the table, do what you got to do. You can say to your kids like my mom did at 18, here's the keys, you're gone, done. My hands are clean. You can do that. Be brokenhearted for a time. I know you will. My mother buried my sister because she died drinking and driving. You will be brokenhearted for a time. But listen to me. When you stand before Jesus on Judgment Day and he wipes away that last tear, the memory of Jenny is gone. If my sister died who died drinking and driving is not in heaven, when Jesus wipes away that last tear, she will never remember Jenny again. You think we're going to be in heaven upon the new earth, reigning with Christ, thinking about Hitler, drug addicts and perverts and all of that? The Bible says the wicked will be remembered no more. So let me tell you something, parents. Set your house in order. Have your conscience clean before God and man. Say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as they come of age, let them make their decision. You will never love them more than God loves them. Their God loves them more than you ever could love them. But this is the order of God's family. This is the source of protection. And as you see, the church is there. Why? Because whenever I see a man start stomping his feet around saying, well, I'm in charge. God said I'm in charge, and it's okay if I do X, Y, and Z. I always see that man outside of church authority because that man's a coward, stomps around to young women and children in his house, but he won't come stand before me as a man and do that. So that's why the church says men stand to count before other men. That's why in this church we have a lot of burly men, not sissy men. And we have a lot of young men that love Jesus. Why? Because they're raised to be men. They're raised to shake a man's hand, look him in the eye, and tell him how his wife and kids are doing. The value of a man in this church is not based upon his car. I can put a monkey in a Corvette. Are you listening to me? I could put Nikes on a monkey. I could have, you know, Dolce Cabana on a monkey. Are you listening to me? That is not the value of a man here. It's based on the countenance of his wife's face and the upbringing of his children. So we take serious the family here. Does everybody get that? You thought our family message would be like the Mother's Day message. No, that was just nice to all of our guests who came. Y'all get the real deal here. Y'all get the real deal. This is real preaching, amen? Because our world's tore up from the floor up. It needs a checkup from the neck up. They don't know that they're busted and disgusted, but they are. We don't even understand how we got this bad. How did we get this bad? How did, how, did it, how did lesbianism and homosexuality grow so fast? Why? Because the family broke down. How did the gangs get on the streets? I'll bring up here right now the pastor that I learned so much of black history from by watching his life in New Orleans. We had him in our God and Politics uh, service that we did a while back during the election. I will bring him up here right now, put him up on the screen as I did before with, uh, you know, with, with, with the webcam and have 
him tell you stories about the black South being born and raised in New Orleans during the time where they had to get served out the side of, of a building to go get their groceries or, or the, the restaurant and whites only and all that nonsense. The generation of Rosa Parks is, is what I'm saying. here. I could put him up here right now, and you know what he will tell you? That his father would slap upside the head every one of these punks on the street in these gangs. The kind of man his father was wouldn't tolerate that in his neighborhood. How do these young people run these neighborhoods? It's because the men are running with their tails between their legs. Cowards. I'm not saying that they won't die. I'm saying that they don't die for the right thing. Lay down your life for your family, sir. sir not some color and not some block. When I think about what black history went through, and I'm talking now about the urban community, when I, when I think about black history and what they went through, it is a disgrace to see what's happened and why has it happened. Because the black church and the black family through the husband has failed the black community. When I, even just 20 years ago, was in the inner city, I had to deal with the pastors who were pimping the people who cared not for the people and the men who used the church as a way to envelop their lust with, uh, to, get, to recruit their women for more of their, uh, the sexual perversion. I had my friends commit adultery in the pulpit and keep on preaching as if they did nothing. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen in white churches. I'm just saying if you want to know why it's so broken down, the white family, the black family suffers when the father's not there. And right now the black community has less fathers there, and that's why there's more problems. I know it's tight, but it's right. You can say, oh, my, oh, me, pastor, but you better say amen if you believe the word. I remember going into the inner cities of the Calio projects, the Melphamine projects, the, where the hot boys were from, Magnolia projects, New Alignment soldiers, Calio projects. And I remember seeing single moms raising all of these children by themselves and no man to be found except during the first of the month when the check came. Are you all listening to me? And we wonder why these young black men weren't raised up the right way. We, we, we want to talk about prejudice and racism and all of that. I understand that exists, but the greatest prejudice is a black man towards his own black kids. He treats them as they are an other that they do not belong to him, and that needs to change. Are you listening to me? Now, I'll put Donald Trump and his white behind on blast just as much as anybody else. Are you listening to me? But I want to tell you what today. I'm not afraid of Donald Trump's kids when I walk down the street, but I'm afraid of the urban youth. Why is that? It's because you mix poverty with the no fathers in the homes, you have the recipe for a disaster. You have gangs now because they're going to find their own way out. You mix poverty with fatherless homes. Now you're not being taught how to start your own business. You know that there was more, I know New Orleans facts, so y'all just got to bear with me. Do you know that there was more entrepreneurship in New Orleans during the Jim Crow era with the black families than there are right now? 
black-owned businesses. Why? Because the black fathers who got off the sharecropping fields, who came off the plantations, said, we're going to work. We're going to have as much freedom as we can possibly have. There was African-American women starting businesses left and right with hair products and fashion and so forth. Study black history. But what disintegrated the black community was the breakdown of this right here. And now what's happening with the Latino community? The breakdown of this. We can say whatever we want about the Catholics, and you know I got a problem with their religion as well. But what do we see breaking down in the Latino community? The same exact thing. Now it's a competition between who goes to the abortion clinic most, the single black woman or the single Latino mom, right? Come on, somebody. And so you mix those two together, then you have what a Chicago is. So how do you get out of it? How do you get out of it? What if I told you that I think a lot of it starts with the women right now? Can I tell you how it starts with the women right now? You all ready for this? It starts with the women right now because the woman looks at that man, that bozo that's coming over all the time, and she says, no ringing, no dinging. So now that stops. Now there can't be a child born to a father that doesn't care about him because the woman cares about her body and says, you gets none. Come on, son. You gets none unless you want to be a husband. You want to be a father. And that woman vets that man. She takes herself as the chief prize that that man can ever win or earn in his life. So she becomes a pearl of great price, something that the man has to be willing to lay down everything for. Right? So she values herself. She takes upon herself a dignity that the Bible gives her. She's made in the image of God. And so now the rate of birth to unwed mothers comes to a screeching halt right now. Done. Done. Second thing, the woman as the wife becomes the mother in the marriage, a caregiver, and it elevates her husband. And now what happens? The husband feels like he's valuable. And so he knows what he gets from his wife, he can't get from the secretary. He can have sex with the secretary, but he can't have what he gets with his wife. Are y'all listening to me? Y'all young, y'all old enough here to understand sex? I can go have sex right now, but I can't get another Nancy. I'll have sex with a girl at the mall that I meet and pick up at Humboldt Park, but I don't just go pick up another Nancy because, see, Nancy valued herself to the point where I had to elevate myself to be on her level, to earn it. She didn't let me kiss her on the first date. She made me wait. Are you listening? Come on. See, she elevated. See, if I can go have sex with a girl at the mall right now, she'll never be a Nancy to me. So she will teach me another way of living. That woman will teach me that she's nothing but a sex object and that I can get it from all kinds of girls because if I got it from her, I'll get it from somebody else. But I can't get a wife that way. So the wife then elevates the man to subdue the temptations that war against his own flesh. Because the man's own sexual promiscuity will be the damnation of his soul. So the thing that you think you control now, men really will control you throughout your life. I know men way older than me still struggling with pornography, still struggling 
looking at women. I mean, you've heard it, the dirty old man. It's a, it's a real thing. Marriage doesn't change that. Just a certificate doesn't change that. Going on a nice honeymoon doesn't change that. People that I've already married are divorced right now, and I've only been marrying for a few years, right? Are you listening? See, the wife elevates the husband to a place of character where he learns to put his vices at the feet of Jesus because he sees the sacrifice as valuable. I see my sacrifice for my sexual promiscuity. I sacrifice it. I see it worth it when I look at my wife, when I look at my children. And my wife teaches me how to be a nurturing man to my kids. And then now together I lead her in the ways of God because what I can do as a husband, I may not know much about staying home and and cleaning the house. I may not know much about raising children up a certain way. But you know what I do know? I know how to live for God. And so as she teaches me how to be in the home, I'll teach her as I'm learning. not saying I know more or I'm smarter, but I'll teach her what it's like to lay down my sword at her feet and trust her and serve God with all my passion. And now I inspire her because she now sees my husband, listen, my husband's willing to lay down his promiscuity at the feet of marriage. He's willing to lay down the boys, the games, all of these things at the feet of fatherhood. And he's willing to pray and admit he doesn't know it all because every time a man prays, he admits he, he needs help. That's just what it means by definition. When we pray, we're already admitting we're not the one we're praying to. Come on, somebody. Praying's not just talking to yourself. It's admitting you're God, I'm not. Let's talk. Here's how I start the conversation. You're God, I'm not. I need help. Here are the things, right? And so then it's a compliment. So now that husband leads. And the children, now watch this. I'll show, I got a few moments left here. Here's how the children now are never confused about sexuality. The woman grows up and she sees masculinity as something beautiful and something that she desires because she sees it in her daddy. So now when she goes to fulfill the hormonal urge in her body she doesn't look to a woman who tries to look like a man or try to have some kind of a hybrid relationship no she looks for a man that reminds her of her daddy it's natural it's natural and then now the boy he doesn't grow up with the mom resembling the mom feminine in attributes. He grows up in masculinity knowing how to be a young man, to be a man like his father. And his father teaches him integrity. And so now he wants to be a husband like his dad, a father like his dad, a worker like his dad. How many of y'all know this right now that the reason why y'all don't cheat on your job has nothing to do with your boss or really even you getting paid that week. The reason why you don't do it is because you know you would be an embarrassment into a shame to somebody that you really care about. What really keeps us morally in check isn't just the fear of what outsiders think. You don't care what outsiders think. What really keeps you morally in check is you know you would shame the people you love the most. The reason why I'm not having sex outside of marriage isn't because I fear what you would say about me. I'll just go move to Florida. Forget y'all. I ran away and hid just like my friends do when they cheat on their wives. I won't even have to see you. I'll block my Facebook. Boom, I'm done. No, it's what I would do to my wife and kids. Are you all listening? I'm going to keep it real. And it's the same thing. When God puts the fear of God in you, 
You don't keep the laws even just because of your wife and kids. You do it because you know he's with you. It's like God watches us. God watches our family. God's with our children. That's why when I get mad and I yell at my kids, I don't just feel embarrassed because I did it in front of my wife and kids. I feel embarrassed because I did it in front of God because I'm there supposed to be representing God. And so starting with the women, yes, are you called to serve and submit? Yes, you are. But we are all called to serve and submit to each other. So the wife is the first example in the home of what it's like to serve and submit. It says, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. Do you know that I even submit to my own children out of reverence for Christ? Why? Because I know Christ is watching, and I'll only do for them what I, want, what, what I want God to see me do. You see, I submit to you. That doesn't mean my kids can now tell me, Dad, go give me money out the bank or go buy me ice cream. No, I submit to them not out of their desire, not out of who they are, their wishes and whims. I submit to you. I submit to the, uh, my children. I submit to the world in one sense out of reverence for Christ, which means if I know Christ is watching me and Christ has given me a law, I will never violate you by violating that law. I will never do something against you that the law says I can't do before God and men. And if I do, then I owe you my repentance, don't I? And if I do it bad enough, then I owe you my restoration, right? And then it says, now wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So the idea is Christ is setting up his home as he sets up the church. And he's setting up the church like he sets up his home. Do you all get it? It's, it's a mere reflection of each other. Now, you may hear all of this preaching and think, man, are you like some of these more traditional churches that don't let women be pastors? No, we actually have women pastors here, women elders. We empower women here. We're actually what they call an egalitarian church. We give women all equal places in this church where there's many people that you might listen to online that don't allow the women to preach. John Piper don't allow the women to preach. Moody Bible Institute doesn't allow the women to preach. Mark Driscoll, uh, Matt Chandler, a lot of these guys don't allow the women. We actually do that. But that doesn't mean I take away the order. There's still order. Just because the Father and the Son are equal doesn't mean they have the same position and order. The Son serves the Father. Though they are equal in Godhood, there's not a le Jesus is not a lesser God than the Father. He doesn't have less divinity than the Father. The Son has just as much divinity as the Father, but the Son serves the Father. And the Holy Spirit has just as much divinity as the Father and the Son. They're all 100% God. But the Spirit serves the Father and Son. And so the example, the example is supposed to be the Trinity in the family. The Father, Son, and Child as the Father, Son, and Spirit. And some people want to put the Spirit as being feminine, but that's not how the example goes. It's just three working in submission one to another, and you see the submission here happening one to another. And so can I encourage the women today? Can I encourage y'all? Y'all scared right now, but can I encourage you? Come on, women, I, just, I want to encourage you. Submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. And if you say, I'm not, I'm not married, okay, well, look for a husband that you can submit to one day. That should be the number one criteria of whether or not you can get married to him. It's not, does he have a good job? Does he have? No, it's, can I follow his lead? That's the number one cry or, uh, cry, uh, uh, criteria. Thank you. Can I follow his lead? For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Boom. He set that up. We're not going to argue with it. His body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church, all of us submit to Christ. So wives in the home submit to their husbands. And how many things? 
and everything. I don't know if y'all can read up here. I know all means every, but just read what it says. Submit to their husbands and what? And how many things? How many things? Everything. Now, does that violate her freedom? No. If the, if the husband at any time tries to consider her a slave, she's free to go. If at any time if he abuses her, she's free to go. At any time if he wants to get in the way between her and God, she's free to go. At any time if the husband does things against the children, she is free to go. This is not talking about, remember, things against good health and good living. What it's talking about is everything in the home as the family's being led. And so if you have a democracy with two people, you can never get a majority vote. So God said the husband will make the final word. In everything, husband gets the final word. Now there are some who do not have Christian husbands. What are they supposed to do? They are submit to him in everything that doesn't pertain to God because that husband knows nothing about God. But in everything he's making final decisions and they submit him. And so the Bible says that's the order of the home. I'll talk more about that as we get to fathers and all of these other things. Oh, trust me, we'll be a lot more clear. But there's a passage in the Bible known as the Proverbs 31 woman. Can I read that to you today to encourage the women here? Amen. And the mothers. And if you're not a mother or a wife, one day you may be. Look to these things as your example. I'm going to read it as I, this is literally the entire passage. I just put the, uh, the little headings before the entire passage, Okay. So this is what God wants you to be, women, valuable, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than Ruby. See, there's where your dignity comes from, right there. That's where you start at day one. Right now, every woman should be able to say, I am worth more than Ruby's. I am not little Wayne's person in the video. I'm not juking on him. I am not Drake's little dance girl. I am not duck lip, booty out, Facebook selfie. I am not that. I am worth more than that. I'm worth more than that. Everybody say, I'm worth more than that. Amen. She is trustworthy. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She is hardworking. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Selective. She selects wool and flax and works with eager with her hands. See, she's hardworking. She's shrewd. She's like the merchant ships bringing food from afar. She's a provider. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family, portions for her female servants. She's savvy. She considers a field and buys it out of her earning she plants a vineyard take that every feminist feminist that thought the patriarchy of the bible was against women's rights thousands of years ago the israelite women were bosses y'all running things how many women here want to own property want to make that property turn a profit that's the women of the bible praise god y'all get quiet I don't want her barefoot pregnant in a kitchen. I want her buying and selling, owning stuff. Amen. Strong. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. Diligent. She sees that her trading is profitable. Anybody want to trade stocks today? Come on, anybody want to be like Destiny? Let's give it up for Destiny. Stand up, Destiny. She traded stocks with the Chicago Public Schools and won a contest out of 2,000 students and received a $5,000 scholarship. Give it up for destiny. That's what I'm talking about. You see, that's who we're proud of in this church. She's worth more than, val uh, she's worth more than rubies. She's profitable at her trading. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's a multitasker. In her hand, she holds the distaff and, the, and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She can make stuff. 
They're inventors. Compassion as she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. There's no one more compassionate than a Christian woman. I'm a Christian man. I'll be the first one to tell you a Christian woman is always more compassionate than a Christian man. Confident. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She's confident because she's put in her work. She's beautiful. Watch this. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Now, this doesn't mean she has to have the best of fashion, but she takes care of herself. Respected husband. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the jokers of the land, among those who play the video, video games of the land, Fortnite. No, he takes his seat among the elders of the land. That's her husband. Because she said to him a long time ago, if you're going to be with me, you're going to be a leader with me. And you will sit among men and be accountable for how you treat me in this house. Hello, somebody. Prosperous. She makes linen garments and sells them, supplies the merchants with sashes. <laughs> I just go so excited when I see this, man, because I see this in our church, too. Women just making moves. Dignified. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She ain't scared. She's confident. Wise. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She's involved. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She has a blessed family. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. She's an overachiever. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Oprah Winfrey may do noble things uh, and put homes in Africa. You know, Ellen may support the poor every now and then, but the woman of God surpasses them all. Y'all clap like you don't believe it. I believe it. My wife is better than Oprah, Ellen, all of them put together. She's better than Hillary Clinton. All the women who people think are noble, she is outdoing them all. She's a God-fearer. The Bible says charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Some of the women here today, you say, well, I don't get praised. Well, are you looking for your beauty to be what attracts people to you? Or are you looking for the fear of the Lord to attract the people to you? I want my children to be so beautiful outside. These, the four girls that I have, I want them to be so beautiful on the outside. But I, not, not because I have guns, listen to me, but I want men to be deathly afraid to approach her. Why? Because they know she fears God. She, my, Bethany fears God. Don't just run up on her like you ran up on some girl at the playground. You, you come here correct. Come on, somebody. She's honored. Honor her for all that her hands have done. And let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Can you give it up for some godly women in the church today? Amen. Would you stand up to your feet, please, altar workers and band, would you come? There's a lot that rides on the women in our culture. I believe they are the missing link, the missing link to the fathers that we don't see doing the right job. Oftentimes, Nancy and I will see people struggling in their marriage, and we try to figure it out. Is it the wife or is it the husband? 
And it's so funny because Nancy and I always see the other one as the more valuable one. Nancy will say something to me like, well, it's because the husband won't put it in order. He's not a man. He doesn't bring his family to church. He doesn't do X, Y, and Z. And then I'll say, yeah, but the woman, you know, she's not submitting like she should. She's not encouraging him. She's not taking those steps and all of that. And so we kind of come to this stalemate of like, which one comes first, the chicken or the egg in this? The wife or the husband, the wife or the husband? Because I, I believe it's that, that close to how important they are. But I will just make my last plea here that I still think it comes to the woman in that one sense. Because if the woman does not accept the man in his foolishness, the man will have no choice but to come up or get out. Do you all get that? Because men are motivated by what they want. And so women, I want to just encourage you with everything I have on the inside. If you respect me as a pastor, if you see me as a brother in the Lord, you know, hear me in this. Honor thyself as God honors you. Because once you put the foot down all that, you will motivate people to come up to where you are. You will mo- if you're a single mom, you will motivate your kids to come up. If you're a mom right now married to a man that's not saved, you will motivate him to come up. If you're single, you will motivate those who approach you. Come on, somebody. Some of these ladies tell me you get approached all the time. You get approached all the time. My, nan- my wife... Uh, Nancy has hardly been approached in the last, uh, you know, 13 years we've been married. If you're getting approached every single place you go, you're you wearing the wrong thing. I'm just going to be honest with you, ladies. You're putting out the wrong Facebook pictures. If you're getting messages from guys all the time, you got the wrong Facebook pictures up. If you got your cleavage showing and your duck face and your butt is out and you keep getting hits from your old boyfriend, now you know why. I'm not saying it's your fault if you get messed with. I'm not saying that at all. A man uh, uh, violating your freedom deserves to go to jail. It, you, you could be naked walking down the streets. You have the right to be free from any man violating. But what I'm talking about, if you notice you always attracting flies, you might have what flies want. And I'm saying that same thing to guys when Father's Day comes up. Trust me, they get in theirs. But listen to me, ladies. Stop making those excuses. Dress a certain way that you stop attracting those people at the park. Put things on Facebook that stop attracting those jokers from your past. And when people come to you, value yourself as if it was a job interview. And tell them what you expect from them. Oh, you, you, you want my number? Do you go to church? What church do you go to? Well, I'll tell you what. Meet me at my church this Sunday and I'll decide if I give you my number. You know? Keep it real with them. If you know the person and you've been seeing them live for God, lay down the guidelines. Say, this is how it's going to be. I don't care how much we fall in love. I don't care what we feel like our hormones tell us. We will not have sex until we get married. If you are not cool with that, we're not doing this. You guys understand that? The women, I believe, could, I'm just telling you because I watched what a woman did in my life. When my wife held up her banner high, it caused me to go to another level. And I've watched it happen with so many men. But it's always the men, let me just say this in closing, come on, it's always the men who get that girl on the side to get a little oral sex. It's always those men that get that girl, finally get to have sex because now they're engaged. It's always those kind of men that I see have the most trouble in their Christian walk because they're disgusting perverts and they don't know how to value the wife that they're saying they want to be married to. 
And almost, not every time, because I've seen people with deep repentance come through those times, but almost every single time, that dude, within five years, is back to looking at porn, back to playing with himself, back to looking at girls at the park, because he has learned absolutely nothing from his wife on how to treat women. And now, let me just say this, because I'm so disgusted by it. Now, as the father, now he has no authority over his children. He can say all day long to his boys, now you treat that girl nice, you open the door for her, you, may, you know, talk. But those boys will never, never follow his words. Those boys will always follow his example. For me, it is so stupid. It is absolute stupidity when I hear guys that I know right now are living with their girlfriends and now they got daughters and they got the pictures up, like I'm going to protect my daughter. I'm like, you idiot. All that stuff is stupid. You don't do my friend who did girls like that, had, had a girl pregnant by 15, did all that stupid stuff with his girl. She, she got pregnant by the time she was 18. I could keep you here with stories all day. It's stupid. It does nothing because they're just going to be no different than the way you are. The girl is going to fall for the next idiot like she fell, like, like her mom fell for you because the, the girl is going to think you're dad, you're cute, you mess around with mom on the side, all this. So that's about how it's supposed to be then. And the same thing is with the guy. He says, well, that's what dad did, and dad loved mom. And, and these guys, you know, they try to make it up, you know, like on Valentine's Day. They get all the, most of the guys you see do that. I'm not saying all, just saying most. Most of the guys you see get all of the flowers, and we're doing the limousine. You know what they're doing? They're making up for all the junk they did that year before. My wife, I can show up with one rose, kiss on the cheek, Valentine's Day. Ooh, I feel so special. Why? Because it's Valentine's Day 365 in our home. It's, honey, take a nap. I'll do the dishes. Honey, I got you. See, it's those dudes who think they got to make it up, do something. Now, come on, guys. So going back to the ladies, I just want to put this on you one more time. Please, I'm just, with everything I have on the inside of me, looking at the culture, the way it is today, the world, I think, it's, I think it can start with the women right now. If you will see yourself as an example of God's love for his people, that you are the heart you are the heartbeat of family. You are the heartbeat of romance. If you will be like God in that way, you will call people up. And then if you will show sacrifice, like Jesus showed sacrifice, Jesus even called himself a mother hen, and you will lay down your life, you will be such an inspiration to this world. Just think about how far Oprah and, and Ellen, all those people went, and Hillary Clinton. What do you think godly women can do with the power of the Holy Spirit? We will have new female heroes again new role models again, new women that set examples again, new women that just invent stuff, and they have families, and it's so beautiful. <sighs> Father, I've said as much as I can. Would you pray with me right now? Because I know I don't want to exhaust you. I don't want to exasperate you as a past pastor today. But I want to pray right now. Father, we need you. I got so much on my heart to say, but I can't say it now, God. I got to let them go. Would you bring this message deep into their heart? Lord, would you have the church go back this week and read the book of Ephesians and tie it together in their own personal lives? Let's pray right now for uh, the broken families of our culture first. If you're here today and you came from a broken family, we're going to pray for you right now. Even as I'm praying out loud, if you want to come to these altars, you can. We'll dismiss in just a moment, but 
I don't want to make you feel like you got to just stand there because some of you want prayer even now. You can come, but I want to start with broken families, male or female. It doesn't matter, but Lord, for anyone that's come from a broken family and, and they're saying now they want to do it right, I pray you bless them right now with strength to set it in order. The men, let them be a father like they never had. Let them be a husband like they never saw. Let the women, if they didn't see a godly mother, be a godly mother today. Let them be a godly wife. Let's now pray if you're here today and you're a woman and you're saying, um, Pastor, I just want to be like a Proverbs 31 woman. Let me just pray for you. Lord, I ask you to, that every woman here will be like that Bible scripture. That if we were to sin, we would repent. That the women would say, if I sin in this, I repent, but I don't make excuses. Any women here right now want to be that and need some prayer? Come on up as I keep praying. Lord, I pray that they won't be under the condemnation or the guilt of what they've done wrong, but Lord, they'll sense the power to do what's right. Lord, I pray for the men in this place, Lord. How many men want a godly woman in their life? Whether you're single or married, it doesn't matter. If you do, let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that godly men will not defile godly women. That godly men will not let their perversion try to manipulate a godly woman, but that godly men will be examples to godly women and that they will raise that standard with them. Bless the men in this place to be examples. A few more moments before we go. If you're here today with your spouse and you can pray with them, just grab their hand and pray with them right now. Or if your significant other is with you, Lord, we pray for marriages to be blessed here, for children to be blessed in these homes, that lives will be changed. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, let us pray for you up here. Nobody will embarrass you, but get prayer before you go. Trust me, you're not the only one in this church. You will see the freedom in your life like they have seen. God created you male or female, and he wants you to be happy in that sexuality. And if he wants you to marry, it's to the opposite sex. If not, be single, but be happy with who he made you to be. In the name of Jesus. Can I hear an amen in the house of God? Let's give it up for Jesus. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We're going to still pray, but we'll dismiss. Slap your neighbor high five and say, be blessed by the best. God bless you as you go. If you need prayer for anything now.